Dan, thank you so much. First of all, I mean, I'm honored. Thank you so much, Dan, for, for joining me today. This is going to be a fun one. It's my honor. It's yeah. my honor. Oh, thank you. I'm delighted to be here talking with you. Thank you. So, as I mentioned before, obviously, <clears throat> you talk about the, the mental side of the game and performance from, <clears throat> from a player's perspective. Let's talk about it from a coach's perspective. And do, do you work with coaches? I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's in, are you asking me if I work with a coach's psychology or help coaches to coach psychology, or you're asking me both? I guess both. Let's go with both. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I do, I do both. Yeah. I do both. yeah. What, do, what do you find coaches are most struggling with? Oh, I, I, look, I think it starts with the challenge of making sense of psychology, or as I would call it biopsychosocial, to simplify what I've just said there, biopsychosocial, think of bio as, as body, right. psycho as mind, yeah. social as world, body, mind, world, body, yeah. mind, world, because our, our minds in our bodies or our brains in our bodies, both of which are tethered to our world, and so it can become very, very confusing, psychology tends to be quite broad, right. quite deep, and so it's really a case of just trying to make sense trying to make sense of it and, and really for any specific coach in their context, how they make sense of it in their context. Like psychology for a coach of eight-year-olds is going to be different for psychology of college coaches, which is going to be different for the psychology of a Premier League coach or manager. So, you know, context is king, context matters. Um, so really it's just, it, it's striving to help people, coaches, make sense of body, mind, world, biopsychosocial, psychological side of things. Um, that, that to me is, is where it starts, and I, I try to help coaches build specific frameworks and processes within their coaching practice in order to help them in their context uh, deliver on the psychological side as best they can, uh, and also be able to maintain their own uh, consistency around their own psychology. Yeah. Can you talk about that framework and that, what that process looks like? And I know I'm sure it's going to be different for everybody, but is there like um, when you're the first meeting, like do you, do you explain that framework to them? Is well, I mean, and this is the challenge, is that framework is going to be different for different people. But yeah. there, there are certainly consistencies that, that drive through you know, my consultancy, consultancy practice. And I, I do tend to start with on on the pitch, on the field. Yeah. Um, because I think that so so much of psychology derives from there. Even if we dwelled uh, delved excuse me into mental health and well being. Player mental health and well being is heavily influenced by what's going on in and around the pitch, in and around the activities and the sessions and the players' attitudes and approaches, and I suppose philosophy around performance. So I think a lot of things, that's not to suggest that you wouldn't go in there necessarily right. work specifically on well-being and mental health from a different perspective, but I think the narratives around the pitch, around the game, around practice, around learning, around competing, you know, um, that, that to me is where it starts. So what I would say is that we'll start, usually start there, unless I'm, I'm told something else, which yeah. is why I want to work elsewhere, it's 
okay, I want to work. Um, we'll start talking about frameworks that are potentially going to help their players to be able to high perform more consistently under pressure. That's going to help uh, their players to learn more effectively. That's going to help them to engage. And so maybe what I should say here, and we're here at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. I delivered yesterday, and that 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 a speech, not a baby. <laughs> yes, okay. a speech, not a baby. Um, that goes beyond uh, the scope of my competence. Yeah. Actually, delivering babies, uh, midwifery is not my thing. Um, and so, what I what I talked about yesterday in my presentation very much was participation, progression, and performance. I think as coaches, we tend to work in servitude of these three Ps, and we can start to think about the body, biopsychosocial, body-mind uh, world um, around these three Ps, participation, progression, performance. The participation piece is the engagement piece. Yeah. How do I help my players engage? How do I help them, which you know means how do I help them pay attention? How do I raise their interest levels? How do I help them engage together so there's an element of teamship and relationship and leadership? How do I help them engage this week, this month, this season? How do I help them engage for a lifetime? So that's the participation piece. Uh, that's about being a person first in many respects. Yeah. And then there's the progression piece, which is about the learning piece. You know, it's, it's about how do I help players learn? The slide I had yesterday uh, was a picture of the very great John Wooden. And I think one of his immortal lines is, you haven't taught them until they've learned. Right. You know, so how do I help players learn? And, and, and then uh, the performance piece is, how do I help players compete? Which for me, competitiveness is the couple of great competitors are able to high perform consistently under pressure. So participation, progression, performance, and I think every single coach is invested in participation. You can be an underage coach, you can be an under 16s coach, you can be a college coach, you can be a Premier League coach. It's about a big part of your role is to help players participate, to help them engage. Uh, and then obviously the progression piece is really important. Um, and then, if you're a coach of eight-year-olds, hopefully the performance piece isn't so important. Yeah. Uh, but it is for Jurgen Klopp. It is right, for Emma right. Hayes. It is for it is for Jose Mourinho. So yeah. participation, professional performance. Usually, the framework revolves around those three areas. How did you get into all this? I was a professional golfer. Uh, failed miserably. Um, uh, didn't win any money. Hey. Well, yeah, at least you made it to the pro stage. I mean, yeah, yeah, the, there's that. I wasn't a very good professional, though. But it, the interest really stems from that. Like, yeah. you know, golf is synonymous with being a mental sport, and sure. it, it, it captured my interest. And then I started to coach the yeah. game. And then from there, uh, it further deepened my interest in psychology. And so I went to university, did my qualifications. And about 17 years ago, I left golf coaching behind and became a registered and qualified sports psychologist and I've been working as a sports psychologist. So 17 years ago when you first started to now, where are there like different trends? Like what what is the sports psychology industry changed into over time? Um, I, look, I, I think certainly what I've experienced has changed um, has been attitudes towards sports psychology. Increasingly, day by day, week by week, year by year, players, coaches, 
people in and around the game are more interested in engaging with sports psychology and sport psychologists. I don't think anybody would deny that the game, the sport, has a strong element of psychology around it, but I think historically coaches, especially at the very highest level, the adult elite level, have been a little bit slow to engage with sports psychologists. I think that's changing rapidly. I think that in terms of sports psychology itself, just the dissemination of resources now with the internet over the last two decades. Sure. There's a lot of information out there, which is an awesome thing. It can be a challenging thing. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, podcasts as well. You right. Know, we, we can disseminate that in information uh, and, and produce it, package it in a more accessible way. But again, the danger there is, well, what is efficacious? And, and effective, and what what you know, what is evidence grounded, and so on and so forth. So so so, with an overwhelm of information, there can be a challenge to, to manage that, to streamline that information. So there's that. I think sports like within sports psychology itself, I think there's a a big shift towards the well-being and mental health sure. areas, which hey look. They're absolutely imperative, really important, and that's awesome and it's brilliant. I do think, as sports psychologists, we're starting to take our eye away from performance psychology. Uh, performance and well-being is vital. Performance and well-being and mental health is vital. Um, so I, I just think we need to be a bit careful not to take our eye away from the, the, the performance and the learning piece. And I think as sports psychologist, I take a very broad definition of sports psychology, and so I'm interested in learning, I'm interested in skill acquisition and the psychological areas of skill acquisition. And I'm interested in coaching science. I think as psychologists, we're in a really good position to um, help on those pieces. So yeah. yeah, I think that sort of gives you a general overview of where we're at. What's the number one rule, or not rule, I should say, but in terms of skill acquisition, yeah, and from a psychology standpoint, yeah, what's like a, a framework for that? Is it is it like the deep practice that Daniel Coyle talks about and stuff like that? Yeah, the, 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 that deep practice probably stems from the work of Anders Ericsson originally oh, the, in the late eighties, yeah, the yeah. deliberate practice. That's right. Yeah. No, but you know, I think Daniel. Daniel Coyle's work is, is really interesting. I mean, it's delivered in a popular format because he writes books and not uh, research papers, but uh, and that's fine. Um, but, um, you know, there's been the, the challenge there is there has been some uh, ridiculous uh, dissemination of that uh, over the last decade or so around the 10,000 hour rule. Right, and, and right. Things that have got slightly overblown and out of hand. I think. The deliberate practice stuff is really, really interesting. It's just um, effortful practice in order to improve. Right. Uh, and that's kind of juxtaposed out there with more, with uh, with practitioners and researchers talking more around flow state and curiosity and joy and it's kind of incorporating a positive psychology uh, around there rather than practice being effortful necessarily. It wants to be joyful and curiosity and um, um, creativity, etc., etc. I think both have a place. Yeah. Um, I think as a coach, you might want to have a preferred uh, approach. 
Um, but I think both have a great place. I think if certainly working at the highest level, uh, my go-to resources are more around deliberate practice, where I'm trying to help players with great practices, students of the game, students of their game, engaging what we would call metacognition, as in thinking about your thinking, thinking about your behaviours. I, I spoke about this yesterday, just garnering insights as you're training. That's a, that's a really, really important skill for players to develop because then you're creating uh, then you're creating brains that are attuned more to the complexity and the nuance of the game. So if you've got players really thinking about how they're what they're doing, is this am I being effective? How do I pick up the, the, the cues, the clues, the triggers that are emerging and dissolving as the game flows around me? You know, just build insights. But and and you know, maybe I'm talking slightly flowery there, but ultimately it comes down to damn well WhatsApp me, how it went in training today. What did you right. what insights did you garner? Because players don't do that. Well they do do very well at the highest level, so go and they train with intensity, they train with time. Nobody denies that. But I think there's an interesting world whereby how do you help players certainly at that level improve mm. just a little bit well they've got to build insight they've got to yeah. get insights into their game they've got to train deliberately uh, use feedback from coaches but m most importantly just be a student of what they're doing what am I doing right now what do I need to improve upon what am I capturing from these sessions that demonstrates okay these are the things that I have to improve yeah awesome. that's, all, that's a wealth of information right there that, where, where did you struggle as a golf coach? Where did I struggle mm. as a golf coach? As a golf coach, um, I can tell you where I struggled as a golfer. I didn't get the ball <laughs> in the hole. Um, as a, as a, when I was a golf coach many, many years ago, um, I was young, and so the kind of stuff I know now, I didn't know then. I think I would be, golf is a very technical sport. Um, and so we're inclined to be perhaps overly technical and maybe overly prescriptive with our technical solutions at times um, and that, uh, and I suppose when I reflect back um, I probably could be more person oriented get out on the golf course more with players and and, and work on their games in that way yeah. so on the golf course having a chat with them getting to know them getting to understand their practice habits but also getting to see their game and be and just understanding getting a picture of their game in the performance environment rather than here we are on the range let's hit some seven irons right. and then it becomes a little bit um, lacks a little bit of game specificity, lacks a bit of what we might call representation. Representational learning design is a big thing in, in, in skill acquisition now. You know, we want to learn the game in as representative an environment as possible. Yeah. And so, if I could go back and get in a time machine and go back, I would do well on that. Yeah. Do you think coaches and players need to experience more of something different to make them better players and coaches. So let me get, let me give you some thought. Like I just read the book Range by uh, David Epstein, I believe, and, yeah. he, and he talks about yeah. doing you know how all these great great um, athletes just have done different things growing up. Do you yes. think that makes them better long term, or do you think uh, it's it's always case dependent? Generalist rather than specialist. Yeah. Um, look, I, I I think there's some. Uh, emerging evidence around, I think, early seriousness. If you think about the, the professionalization of youth sport, 
early series, early specialization. On my own podcast, I spoke to Professor Mark Williams about this, one of the world's leading sports scientists. He happens to be a sports psychologist as well. You know, and he does talk about, well, you know what, you, if you do practice a lot at a given sport when you are young, the reality is you are clocking up your hours without you know, right. alluding to the 10,000 hours. Sure. I'm not saying that's your 10,000 hours. Saying right, that, but right. you are practicing. So if you are a six, seven, eight year old and you are playing a lot of soccer at that age and you're loving it and you're enjoying it and it's fun and you're playing a lot of soccer, you know, you you might give yourself a head start. Sure. But the correlation between that, that uh, the ability you're showing then and your ability as an adult don't match up. So um, I think there's a lot of mixed messages and a lot of mixed research. I think what we don't want to do is engage in early seriousness. I think that's where a lot of the problems... Uh, and that's just like taking it, just focusing way too much on at a young age, right? I just get too many emails through from parents who, and I understand why they're doing it. Uh, you know, my nine-year-old is wanting to step up to, you know, the, the team and... Um, um, wants to be uh, a Premier League player, and it's just I, I do think, with the greatest of respect, there's a there's a parent, and you're you're contacting me out of love and care, and will want for their child to be to to have the best in their life, and 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 or they want the best for them, and it's like maybe as a parent, that's where you need to, you know, just stop. Okay, my child is nine years old. It, don't care if they're just having fun. Yeah. They don't have to take this too seriously right now. It's okay that they're in the second or the third team, or it's okay to just for them to be in a. It's just participative. Right, it's a participative right. stage. If they if they love it, and over time they show an, a, a progressive aptitude for it, brilliant. Then maybe at some stage it's useful for me to be involved. And it might be that I can do a session with a parent where I talk about some very basic techniques that I use, like squashing ants and having a game face and the, the things that people, would, if they opened one of my books, um, they'd, they'd find out about. But I, I, I think the early, early seriousness is a, can be a problem, and that's the same for coaches as well, is that if you're a coach of eight-year-olds and you're there by the side of the pitch shouting at people, young children as human beings they're not mini adults right then i think that that in my opinion is a problem i think that um early specialization can cause problems as well i think it's i, I just think good parenting is uh, in my humble opinion respectfully is introducing your child to an array of things in life and just seeing which stick what do they yeah. love you know, and if it's stamp collecting at eight years old, then awesome, <laughs> brilliant, be a, be a, love every second of yeah, being a stamp yeah. collector, and love playing soccer with your mates, and so on and so forth. Yeah. If you want to play loads, and they want to play loads, and they're doing it, and they're loving it, absolutely brilliant. So, early seriousness, early specialisation, these are things to reach out for. Who's been your favourite podcast guest, on your podcast? Oh, man, you can't <laughs> ask me that, because then I'm going to be... So how much? Unkind. No, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase it. When you, because you're very knowledgeable in your field, mm. 
in your podcast you bring up pe- do you bring on people similar to to your field i bring on people who tend to be in the academic world of sports psychology in the academic world of psychology and occasionally to coaches and occasionally players former players so where have you learned the most in a in a brief episode yeah i look i, I think i think i will answer you by saying i've loved every single one there's right. rarely been one i haven't loved um I would say my favourites for no other reason than it's just I've learned so much because they're not my specific areas of expertise would right. be um, Lisa Feldman Barrett, the uh, neuroscientist from Harvard. I love her books as well. Um, I'm a big believer in uh, the predictive brain and how that brain works and and. and how emo- uh, emotions are, 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 are constructed over time. Mm-hmm. So that's her work. If you wanted to jump on my yeah. podcast and listen there, um, Dan McAdams, because I'm a bit a bit geeky on personality science, personality psychology. Mm-hmm. Professor Dan McAdams from Northwestern, and he is arguably the world's preeminent uh, researcher on personality. Uh, so I really love that one. Those yeah. those would be the two standout ones for me for just because who they are. Right. Right, that's interesting. Where um, where do you want to keep growing yourself? Like, what are you what are you studying now and, and trying to get better at? A little bit of everything. I mean, I I feel that I've kind of laid the foundation for the the templates that underpin um everything that I do, and I just want to get better at each of those areas. So, you know, I, I talked about biopsychosocial. So. Uh, mind, uh, sorry, body, mind, world. That underpins everything that I do, biopsychosocial, and, yeah. and, and with relation to participation, progression, performance, participation, progression, performance, and um, and so I've got a whole range of things within there that I that I try to learn more about. So, for example, um, coaching practice, and that's the coaching science and the skill act, and how psychology informs that. Uh, psychologically informed environments, creating healthy and safe uh, environments for players to prosper, how coaches can, can, can do that. Um, uh, what else, what else? Uh, obviously, mental skills, the competitive mindset, preparation for competing, um, uh, in the, the psychology of the individual, so emotion, behavior, how do we change behavior, personality characteristics, how do we manage uh, personality characteristics, and then the the three ships, leadership, relationship, teamship, leadership, relationship, teamship, so all these things thrown into the mix, these are just areas I'm trying to improve, and that really does encompass everything for me related to coaching. That was awesome, that was awesome. Last question I'll have for you, Dan. What's the legacy that you want to leave with each person you work with, whether it's six, 12, 18 months, what, eight years, whatever it is, what, when they're done working with you, what's that, what's that legacy they want, they want about, say about Dan Abrahams? I think really just that they, they had the best possible experience um, learning about themselves and learning about biopsychosocial, learning about sports psychology. They, it, I, I like to think that it helped them engage better in their sports that it helped them from a well-being and mental health perspective, if, that's, if that was applicable, uh, that it helped them learn, uh, be better learners, and it helped them be better performers. And they felt cared for in terms of, they felt that in my consultancy practice with them, I gave all that I could possibly give them, because I'm busy, all I could possibly give them, 
to help them just you know explore this side of the game whether that's to be the best that they can be or whatever it is right hopefully that's how they feel for sure well dan thank you so much wealth of knowledge right there go check him you need to go check his stuff out books podcasts anything dan abraham you need to listen so dan thank you thank you so much